One could argue that no food item is more New York than the bagel. For a lot of people, buying bagels on a Sunday morning is a ritual. But let's face it, New York City is a great place to grab a bagel any day of the week. The city is home to a wide variety of places to get a bagel fix, including the Bagel Hole in Park Slope, Brooklyn. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. Coming up, we'll pay a visit to the Bagel Hole and talk with the shop's owner, Philip Romanzi. But first, let's take a bite into the history of the bagel. Maria Bolinska is the author of The Bagel, The Surprising History of a Modest Bread. Maria, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Well, it's great to be talking with you about bagels. So what can you tell me about when and where the bagel originated? Well, the thing to note is they are other uh, other boiled and baked ring-shaped breads, but it's the bagel that has had the sort of triumphant um, history. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly when the bagel came about, but it probably originated more or less in the 9th and 10th centuries um, in Europe. And the first citation we have in, in, in documents is in 1610 in Poland, in Krakow, which was then the royal city of Poland. And it's basically in a document that was regulating the consumption of um, valuable uh, foodstuffs or the, the use of valuable other um, things like jewelry, diamonds, and so forth, or furs, um, by the Jewish um, elders. And it was gave specific instructions as to how bagels and other particular breads were to be consumed around the uh, birth of a male child. Huh. Who knew? Yes. Lots so, of surprising facts about the bagel, huh? That's, well, lots of surprising things because, you know, we consider the bagel a snack food that is easily available. But in the 17th century, actually, bagels were considered to be something of value. And so I like to talk about it as a riches-to-rags-to-riches story. Let's run through maybe the top five surprising things about the bagel, some of what we haven't talked about already. So what would number one be on that list? Well, one thing is that... It used to be that in um, Eastern Europe, the bagel line that existed to pick up your hot bagels in front of the bagel bakery was a great place to meet people and and also to recruit revolutionaries. All right. So that's number one. Number two. Number two. In 1951, the New York Times still um, had to tell its readers what a bagel was. Really? Yes. So this was um, in, on the occasion of covering a um, strike by bagel bakers, and they actually gave a handy little tip to how to pronounce the word and described what it was, because in those days it was really consumed only by the Jewish community. All right, so the number three most surprising thing about the bagel. Okay, number three would be that the... Um, In the 1960s, a bagel baker who was responsible for rolling the bagel, so making hand-rolling bagels, uh, would have been making a salary that was superior to that of a teacher or policeman um, because of the strength of the Bagel Bakers Union in New York City. Wow. Wow. All right, on to number four now, the fourth most surprising thing about the bagel. Well, the number four surprising thing would be um, that 
lenders, the company, was really, I think, uh, played an enormous role, and that's a deliberate uh, pun, in getting the bagel um, out to middle America. And they did this not only because of um, helping to uh, get a machine made that, that actually could make bagels, and we've just been, it was just the other, last week, the man who was the inventor of that machine died, Daniel Thompson. Also, thanks to freezing bagels, but but the thing that's maybe less known is how they used humor to get the bagels into people, sort of get, bring it, the bagel to people's attention. And one of the things they did was they created something called bagel heads, which they would um, they would paint small bagels um, and um, give them out as um, presents. And in fact, even uh, President George H. W. Bush has a bagel head. Huh. And finally, the fifth most surprising thing about the bagel. Well, I'm just going to come, I'm going to circle back to what we said at the beginning to say that there are, uh, you know, things that look like bagels and taste like bagels in China. They're different in terms of their, um, as far as I can tell, they are steamed. They have a, you know, slightly, they have a different history. Um, Some people like to try to make a connection between the bagel and these um, these these breads, but I think that um, to me, what is wonderful about the fact that there is something similar to the bagel in northern China is that we human beings all have things in common, and we come to similar conclusions, you know, with with the with the raw ingredients that we are each given. So who knows? World peace could be solved over a bagel, huh? Food, food's a good one for food. Breaking bread, right, is a symbol of, of sort of hospitality and peace. And I think food can really um, cross barriers in, in a way that few things can. So, Maria, I have to ask you, what kind of and how do you like your bagel? Well, I'm a bit of a purist, I have to say. So I really like, um, I like a plain or poppy seed or sesame seed bagel. I like them fresh, so I don't want to have to toast them. Um, and I like some cream cheese, but I'd like, I don't like too much cream cheese because I want the flavor of a good bagel to be able to come through. Maria, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. That was Maria Bolinska. She's the author of The Bagel, The Surprising History of a Modest Bread. The book is available from Yale University Press. Our next guest loves bagels so much that she's put together an A to Z guide to bagel places, terms, and people. Deborah first is on the phone with me this morning to talk about her bagel glossary. Deborah, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. So what inspired you to put together a New York City bagel glossary? So the bagel is sort of this iconic New York food, but it's changed a lot over the years. And it's taken a really long time for us to get to this point where the bagel is being treated as an artisan food, sort of the same way that deli was a couple of years ago, the same way that chefs have been starting to really, like, dig into their personal history and make sort of sophisticated versions of food that we used to think of just as sort of home food. Um, That's now finally starting to happen with a bagel. And so I wanted to sort of take stock of where we are with bagels and where we're going with them. So what do you think inspired that shift with the bagel? That is a really good question. Um, The shift with the bagel, I mean, I think it's part of this broader shift where we're, you know, paying attention to foods that we all grew up with and sort of making them into a better form of themselves. Um, But I also think a lot of it has to do 
um, with Melissa Weller and the owners of the sort of Teresi empire. Um, so Melissa used to be the chef or the pastry chef rather um, at Roberta's. And she had this side project where she was making bagels and they were these amazing bagels and they sold out at Schmorgersburg. I mean, super, super quickly, and everybody was sort of talking about them. And then she sort of went underground, and for a long time there were these rumors that she was opening a bagel shop, and um, it sort of just became part of this conversation. Um, and they just actually opened Seagulls on West Broadway in Soho. So I think that has something to do with it. Um, I also think the success of Rough and Daughters Cafe, um, you know, Rough and Daughters is an 100-year-old New York institution, but it sort of got its second life when the cafe opened a year ago. And now uh, the owners, Nikki and Josh, who you know are sort of a younger generation, are really taking the business into a new direction, and they're going to start making their own bagel. And so I think there's been a couple, a couple of sort of like leaders in this bagel revival movement. Melissa Weller and Russin's daughters both included in your glossary. But, Deborah, let's get to the question, how do you measure a good bagel? That is a complicated question because everybody has an opinion. I think one of the great things about particularly Jewish food is there is no, no consensus, you know, on, on what the perfect thing is. But for me, a really good bagel is a traditional bagel. And by traditional, I mean it's on the smaller side. Um, it's a little bit denser than what most people think of as a bagel. It should have... A, an outside that literally, like, snaps when you bite into it, that it has this, like, little perfect sort of shell almost. Um, and also, a good bagel should always, always be fresh. Um, I mean, I certainly periodically pull a bagel out of my freezer, but a good bagel should be eaten the day that it was baked. Arguing is a term that you use in this glossary. A lot of arguing over bagels, huh? Yes, so much arguing. <laughs> especially for foods that people grew up with and grew up with um, in their home, there's so rarely consensus on how something should be served. Because, of course, it should be served how your mother served it or your father served it or your grandmother. Um, but I do think, objectively speaking, that a really good bagel is, is always a really fresh bagel. Um, it's a bagel that's made with really great ingredients and ideally also served with some great accompaniments, whether that's really good cream cheese or it's lox or it's both, um, I think that makes a great bagel. Yeah, you need a solid schmear, right? Absolutely. You also, in your glossary, say that flavors are frowned upon. Flavored bagels in New York City. I think anything that veers into the this flavor could be a donut flavor should not be a bagel. For example, like blueberry I don't think there should be blueberry bagels. I know people disagree. Um, I know there are people who love cinnamon raisin bagels. I'm related to some of them. But in my mind, a bagel is is something that's savory and something that's closer to sort of the traditional flavors. And, I mean, the bagel came from Poland, and there's only certain flavors that are traditional, and for sure blueberry is not one of them. Your glossary includes the term roll with a hole. Explain. It's sort of what somebody who is maybe a little bit naive would think a bagel is. Um, or it could also be sort of like a, a poor description of what a bagel is. Um, and also, if, a, if something that you buy is called a bagel, but it feels more like a roll that just happens to have a hole in it, it's not actually a bagel. A bagel isn't really 
a role in the same way that like a deli roll is. That sort of roll is simply, I mean, you make you make your dough and then you bake it. Um, and you maybe proof it and let it rise, but you bake it. Whereas a bagel has to be, it's a two-step process. It has to be boiled and then baked. And that really, really changes the texture. So it really isn't the same thing as just a roll. It's really should be something pretty different. So in this piece, you talk about the bagel crisis of 2011. What was the bagel crisis of 2011? So when H&H closed, it was this really big deal. H&H was this Upper West Side bagel institution. I mean, people would stop there um, super late at night and pick up bagels when they were on their way home, or people would go Sunday morning. It was just this sort of like amazing institution. I can't think of another better way to describe it. And when it closed, uh, there was sort of this panic, this, oh, my God, the last, or not the last, but a lot of people were thinking about it that way. It's the last, like, great bagel shop, especially the Upper West Side just closed, and what are we going to do? But I actually think that it sort of, that panic actually sort of helped spur the bagel revolution that we're in at the moment. I think it sort of helped everybody say, okay, like, let's step back. You know, the bagel has changed a lot in the last, like, 20 years. Let's go back to its roots and make sort of a more traditional bagel. Um, but I still, there's still part of me that misses H&H. It was definitely, you know, part of my New York. But now, of course, we have Absolute Bagels, right? A lot of people say they make the best in the city. Yeah. I mean, Absolute was around when H&H was around. Um, it's a little bit further uptown, so I think that had something to maybe do with it wasn't quite as iconic. Um, but I think Absolute does make a very, very good bagel. I think Bagel Hole in Brooklyn makes a really good bagel. I think Essa Bagel makes a really good bagel. There definitely are still some old-school shops that are turning out pretty good bagels. Um, I think they just maybe don't have the same reputation as H&H did. I also think that H&H had a bit of, like, an unfair advantage. It was, you know, 20 feet away from the door of Zabar's. So it became part of this whole tradition of Sunday morning that people would go to each and get their bagels and then walk, you know, 20 feet away to get their smoked, uh, their smoked locks at, or smoked fish rather, at Zabar's. We have long heard, Devra, that it is the water here in New York City that makes our bagels so good. What's your take on that? I'm not a scientist. Um, so I know that there are some people who believe that very strongly. I have been told by bagel makers, by a number of them, that the water doesn't actually have as much to do with it as as we might think. I think the things that are more important are, like, you know, particular types of flour and that something is being made in a really traditional fashion, that it's being rolled out by hand and that it's going into a good oven um, and also, I think freshness is really cannot be overlooked for the importance in a really great bagel. You also say that if you were to look at the rest of the country, if anyone really wants for a New York bagel, it's California because their bagels are pretty bad, huh? They have been historically. There are certainly people who are trying to change that. It was a year, maybe two years ago, somebody uh, set up this pop-up and they shipped bagels overnight from a place in New York, and the line to get these bagels was just insane. Um, So there clearly is a hunger for a really good bagel on the West Coast. And I think 
in the next couple of years, we will definitely see good bagels on the West Coast. To toast or not to toast? What's your take? I think that depends on a couple of things. If you're having a bagel, like if you're going to a bagel shop and you're getting a bagel right there and you're going to eat it as you're walking out the store, definitely don't toast. A really fresh bagel doesn't really need to be toasted. If you are, you know, like my family where we buy bagels and we always buy more than we probably should and we're still eating them the next day, then you should absolutely toast. What kind of reaction have you gotten to this glossary? As I was sort of expecting, there are definitely people who are like, but you didn't include this bagel place and that bagel place. And, um, you know, arguing is definitely part of the bagel experience. That's why I included it on the glossary. So I've, I've gotten some of that. But mostly I think people, um, I've gotten some nice feedback from people who say, you know, it's nice to, like, understand exactly what makes up a New York bagel. Uh, so it's been, it's, most of the reaction's been really fun to hear. Always great to hear from other bagel enthusiasts. Great. Deborah, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That was Deborah First. Deborah is the senior editor of The Tasting Table. You can find her online at tastingtable.com. The bagel is a food item that resonates with people. For some, it brings back memories of laying on the schmear with a family on a Sunday morning. We sent Cityscape producer Taylor Nolk out into the field to capture some breaded recollections. My name is Hallie Green, and I live on the Upper West Side. I have family up in Vermont, and we used to go to the farmer's market there. There was always a lady who had the best bagels, and when I was little, we used to get cinnamon sugar bagels, which, looking back, were totally disgusting and cavity waiting to happen. But it was always such a nice memory of me and my family, and that's where my love of bagels began. Hi, I'm Billy Hannafin. Um, I'm from Brooklyn. I grew up in Boston, and we had finagle bagel back then, back there. Um, and I would stand in front of like the, they had a little like conveyor belt with a saw on it. I would stand on that like the whole time while my parents were getting the, like the weekly stock of bagels for us. There's no shortage of places to grab a bagel in New York City, but Google around, and chances are you'll come across reviews that say the Bagel Hole in Park Slope, Brooklyn, has the best. I caught up with the owner to talk about just what goes into the perfect bagel. Hi, my name is Philip Romanzi. I'm the owner of the Bagel Hole of Park Slope. So, Philip, how long have you been in the bagel business? Um, I've owned my own store now for 30 years, and I was eight years at another location. So, what inspired you to get into bagels? Uh, it just started as an after-school job, and from there, it just you know, I, I enjoyed being in the retail business. I liked being around people, and uh, the you know it was interesting every day. It was a different day. It was never the same boring day. So I liked being in my I liked being in the business. So I uh, decided to go on my own. Native New Yorker, are you? Yes, I was born in Brooklyn. Still here. Raised on bagels, can we say? <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> so what goes into making a good bagel? Good ingredients and a lot of love. A lot of love. Now, your bagels are known to be smaller and harder, right, than other New York bagels? Well, I wouldn't say harder. They're, they're crispier. They're denser. It's real traditional bagel. There's uh, not like today. It's just red. Yeah, explain the difference because many bagels today are these big, fluffy, chewy things. 
Well, they're not using the right ingredients, first of all, and they're baking them different. Here we boil the bagels, and then we bake them, and a lot of these guys today are steaming the bagel before and, and then baking them. It's in the same oven. Uh, our process is you actually put them in a boiling water, and then they go in the oven. Um, so when you're steaming them, they're not really getting crisp, just like a roll. How many bagels do you turn out a day here at the Bagel Hole? Uh, probably about 1,500 to 2,000 a day. How many different kinds of bagels are you making? We make 11 different varieties. And what are those 11? Uh, sesame, poppy, plain, garlic, onion, salt, cinnamon raisin, pumpernickel, whole wheat, egg, and everything. What is the crowd favorite? Believe it or not, it, it, it's everything now. used to be plain, but it kind of switched. They're, they're, they're close, but I think everything squeezes out a little bit. Now, your bagels have been called by some the best bagels in all of New York City. Why do you think that is? Uh, I guess, like I said, we use quality ingredients, and we, you know, we really care about our product. We, we want to put out a good product. We often hear that bagels are so good in New York City because of the water. How much does the water have to do with it? Well, it has a lot to do with it. It's one of the main ingredients. After the flour, that's the, the, the uh, largest amount of uh, ingredients that are in there. So where did you specifically learn how to make bagels the way you do? I used to work in a bagel shop on Avenue X in, uh, in Gravesend. Also in Brooklyn. Also in Brooklyn. Not far from my house. That's where I started after school, a couple hours a day. Um, they taught me how to bake. And the bagel roller was like 80 years old at the time. And he had a hard time lifting the bags. The bags weighed 100 pounds, the bags of flour. And the dough, taking it out, was very heavy also. So on Sunday mornings when I worked, when I worked, he always asked me to help him. So I would go in the back and help him. And then he started teaching me how to roll and how to mix the dough and everything. So, What's your favorite bagel? I like them all. I like them all. What do you like on your bagel? Butter, cream cheese, you know, whatever I'm in the mood for. But everything, everything goes good on the bagel. Do you think you can tell something about a person by what they put on their bagel or the type of bagel that they eat? Yeah, you get to know your customers after a while. Is there a more adventurous spirit in someone who has something on their bagel compared to something else? Oh, yeah, we've had some uh, pretty extravagant orders here. <laughs> Such as what? Uh, jelly on locks. Um, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I can't remember, but there were some really weird ones. Is there anything that you would say to someone, no, no, you just can't. You can't do that. It just doesn't mix. Yeah, I think somebody wanted uh, locks on a cinnamon raisin bagel, and I'm like, I don't think that's going to go good. What do you think would surprise most people about the bagel business? The amount of time and effort it takes to make in bagels, you know, it's like an all-day thing. What is your typical day like? Well, I get here around 5.30 in the morning, set up, get everything going. We're baking and getting the ingredients in the mixer, getting ready to roll some dough. And then taking care of customers and answering the phone, taking deliveries. It's just a lot. It's a lot going on. And you said you've owned your own shop now for three decades, huh? Yes. Yeah. I started when I was 23 years old. A labor of love, huh? (laughs) You could say that, yeah. Thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Philip Ramonzi is the owner of the Bagel Hole in Park Slope, Brooklyn. As tasty as they may look, there are some bagels in New York City that you just can't eat. 
Enter artist Hannah Leiden and her giant bagel sculptures, which you may have seen around town. Hannah, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you. So, Hannah, I was walking along the West Side Highway recently around Christopher Street, and I saw some giant bagels. Your work, huh? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's a sculpture project, and it's called Everything. Appropriately called Everything, huh? Like an Everything Bagel. Right. How did you come up with this concept? Um, I, when I was uh, asked to do a public uh, sculpture project in uh, New York City, I wanted to make something that would be accessible and uh, speak to New Yorkers. And I wanted to make something for New Yorkers about New York City. And then I think that the bagel, the shape is great, and uh, it's such a New York icon, so I started with that, sort of. Now, you grew up in Sweden, right? Yes, in Stockholm. When did you have your first bagel? Um, I think it was when I came to New York City. I moved here in 1998. I remember having my first bagel. I came here for college, and I had it for lunch. <laughs> so what's the process for creating giant bagels? Uh, I worked with a fabricator uh, in Brooklyn who helped me realize the project. Um, we basically started with a maquette of just a stack of uh, regular actual bagels and then just went from there. They're carved out of styrofoam and then covered in plastic and they have steel armature inside of them and they're painted and after that they're painted. What kinds of bagels did you create? Uh, There's sesame bagel, uh, plain bagel, everything bagel, and... Uh, pumpernickel bagel, so I guess that's four. How many of them are spread around the city? There's uh, three different stacks. There's one single... There's three different sculptures on the on the West Side Highway and then or the Hudson River Park, and uh, then there's one stack of five bagels on uh, 6th Avenue, Greenwich Avenue, and uh, uh, Christopher Street in how, the intersection. How long will they be out there? Uh, the ones on the Hudson River Park will be there until the 20th of October, I believe, and the one on 6th Avenue is going to be there until the end of September. When you created these larger-than-life bagels, how did you envision people would interact with them? Um, I wasn't really sure, but I was just hoping that they would sort of uh, enjoy them in all their different ways. And I was hoping that they would sort of speak to different age groups and different kinds of people. But uh, as it turned out, they were, I mean, it seems like people are interacting with them in a very playful way, which I'm happy to see. I can see it on social media. They're pretending to take bites out of them. They put they put their dogs on them and their babies on them, <laughs> you know. That's a lot of fun. I would imagine that puts a smile on your face. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's great. I love it. You've said the black spray paint on the bagels you've created is a romantic tribute to the darkness and grime of the city. Can you talk to us more about that? Mm, yeah, I mean, a lot of my work has a darker side to it, but uh, I felt that the, I mean, the black spray, spray paint, yeah, that's that's what I w- wanted it to be, sort of, because so, it's very... 
obviously there's like this uh, comedy aspect. There's like funny, the bagels, but there's also this darker side to it. It is a reminder of sort of uh, the darker side of New York City. And uh, it could also be like sort of reminding you of graffiti or just like painting, like the paint trips. So overall, has this project lived up to your expectations? Oh, absolutely. I'm so honored to have been able to realize it and uh, very, very happy about the overall response has been positive. Let me ask you, Hannah, how does showing art in a gallery compare to showing your art on the streets of New York City? The major difference is, of course, that you reach such a super different audience because in the art gallery, it's a limited type of people that go there and see it. And the people that see it on the street, first of all, they didn't choose to see it. (laughs) They're seeing it like just because it's there. So that was interesting. And of course, I was a little nervous about that, but it turned out it's also really, it's more exciting. It's exciting in different ways. So let me ask you, Hannah, what's your favorite type of bagel? Uh, I think it is a sesame bagel with um, locks. Sesame with locks. Hannah, thank yeah. you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thanks for talking to me. That was Hannah Leiden. You can find her bagel sculptures in Hudson River Park through October 20th. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Past episodes of the show are available in our archives at wfuv.org slash cityscape. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter for show updates and New York City tidbits. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producers Taylor Nolf and Claire Drake. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.